This episode brought to you by War. What is it good for? Movies. Hey, everybody, we're watching Platoon, and you are listening to Miscast Commentary. You're listening to Miscast Commentary. Where two guys have seen way too many movies and have way too much time on their hands. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. All out of bubblegum. Now here's your hosts, Joe Finley and Todd Murray. Hey everybody, welcome to Miscast Commentary. I'm Joe Finley, and if that's not Todd Murray over there, then I'm very, or if that is Todd Murray over there, then I'm very sexually attracted to him right now. It is I. It's Carrie. I'm back. My beautiful wife is back. Um, we have not fired Todd. Uh, we are still in the midst of kind of a pretty deep part of the lockdown, and uh, there are curfews involved and things like that, so we could not record together. Um, thank you to people who were patient for us not being here. Last week, we figured with everything going on with the Capitol and that maybe a uh, Vietnam movie might not be in our best interests. Uh, so thank you very much for your patience. We are here now. Uh, we got clips from Fred Kennedy, who is back. Well, not back with us, but with uh, excerpts from our interview uh, about this movie. We are going to be, we're going to hear from him. So got a lot of knowledge about the military too that I wasn't aware of. So actually he uh, gave me a lot of interesting insight into military stuff because his dad was involved in the military and such. Uh, but for now, we got to get this bad boy going. Otherwise, Carrie's going to fall asleep. So let us press play. And it's playing. Um, so yeah, Platoon. Just uh, This is one that I didn't know until I asked you to do it that you had not seen. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen this movie. Well, that's unfortunate. This is a classic one. This is actually my favorite of all the Vietnam movies. There's quite a lot of Vietnam movies, but this is by far my favorite one. Uh, Apocalypse Now, a little too much for me, uh, if you will. Yeah, as we get into it, I mean, it's very fairly possible that I had seen it back a long, long time ago, but yeah. I don't recall ever seeing it. Maybe. Um, but yeah, so this is Oliver Stone written and directed by Oliver Stone. Uh, interesting because he started writing this right after he returned from Vietnam himself. Actually, the character Chris, played by Charlie Sheen, is um, pretty well based on him and his experiences in Vietnam. Uh, the, so yeah, he wrote the original script for this in 1971. Obviously, this movie came out in 86, so there was a big gap in time between when it got produced, uh, when he wrote it and when it got produced. Yep. Uh-huh. So, um, yeah, what else about this movie? So many people we're going to come across them. I'm going to kind of let you be surprised as the people show up. Cause I don't know how many people you actually know are in this movie or what. Well, I mean, we're watching the credits right now and I can read. Well, yeah, I know what I'm hoping you're distracted, <laughs> but it's not going to show, it's not going to show everybody on here. True. There's going to, there's going to be some pretty big stars on here who do not make the credits. Okay. Uh, I thought that was true of like Apocalypse Now. That's very true. I back then that was just a thing. So we start off with Charlie, Charlie Sheen. Sheen. Um, very interesting. I was reading his uh, 
his IMDb. I mean, we know we've talked about him before and we know all the things he's been in. Uh, oh, that's an interesting sight to see to be your first thing. It's just a bunch of dead bodies that are going to get on the plane you just got off of. Um, see, but, right then and there, that would just make yeah. me cry. Yeah, you say, nope, and you just yep. get back on the plane. And then they put all the bodies next to you, and you're like, all right, I'll just stay here. Um, I do like being called a cheese dick, so maybe I'll maybe I'll sign up. Uh, but um, I lost track of where I was there for that. It doesn't matter. But uh, it's a big thing. So uh, Vietnam, just in the, some of the reading and stuff I was doing, basically you were sent there. For I know him. Th- there you go. You were sent there for 365 days. So one uh, so tour was 365 One, one tour was one year there. And uh, if you got sent for any reason, you got sent to um, stockades or anything like that, that wasn't time off of your, like, so say you got like three months in stockades, you would then resume your time. So it's not like you had three months of your year. So you'd end up sitting. 15 mi- months Yeah. There. Yeah, so it became like a big thing because uh, uh, there's a line that comes up a little bit later that they mention where they talk about that and how um, the guy's like, just send me to this place, send me to this place. But that wouldn't be better for him because it would mean he'd just be right back here as soon as he got out and he'd be back here for the amount of time that he had anyways. So some more people you're seeing in the uh, credits there. That I know was Kevin David. and Kevin Dillon, uh, Matt Dillon's Ke- brother. Matt Dillon's brother. And- Johnny Depp, wow. Johnny, yeah, baby Johnny Depp. I was is gonna the say this one. is like baby Johnny Depp, and he's really far down in the. Uh, oh yeah, oh he's only got like a line or two in this movie. There's Tony Todd. I don't know Tony Todd. Uh, you'll know him when you see him. He's Candyman. Oh okay. So see um, right there too. Nope. Mm-hmm. So right off the bat, uh, when trying to cast the movie originally, Charlie Sheen uh, turned it down, and so he offered the role to Emilio Estevez. And Emilio Estevez took it, but then all the financing for the project fell apart, and he had to. Uh, so, like the the thing got canceled, and when it came back around that it was able to go, uh, Emilio wasn't able to go because he was committed to other projects. So they brought it back to Charlie Sheen, who actually liked it so much at this point that he read for it again, and then got huh. the role. Uh, apparently, they wanted or they were con- considering Johnny Depp. For this role, but he was too, they considered him too young. He's 22 okay. in this, and they thought, that, and also he didn't have any kind of recognition to be like a leading man, whereas he's gotten a little bit. Not a lot at this point, though. I was going to say, he couldn't have much at this no. point. No. While they were actually on set for this movie, uh, he got a handwritten contract to do Wall Street for really? for Oliver Stone because uh, they were sitting there and he just wrote it up on <laughs> on set and he's like i will do wall street okay <laughs> interesting uh, which is true of a lot of people a lot of people in this uh also appear in other uh oliver stone films in the future i know uh kevin costner had been offered the role uh that went to uh, tom berenger but they didn't um yeah, for Sergeant Barnes, uh, but he had turned it down, and then they ended up working together on JFK all those years later. Huh. Ugh, I picture how hot that is, too. Like, it's just... That's another reason to say nope. Yeah. It yeah. would be muggy and hot and hard to breathe and just sweating and... Ugh. Yeah, this is this is none of your favorite things. No. There's snakes. There's Oh, yeah, burnt bodies. That's something I'm into. 
So there's Tom Berenger. They gave him the best scar. Um, he purposefully, uh, Oliver Stone purposefully co- cast Tom Berenger and Willem Dafoe against type because Tom Berenger was always the hero and uh, um, Willem Dafoe was always the villain and they're kind of like switched. It's it's a weird gray area as far as hero and villain is concerned in this movie, but uh, the he purposefully like put them against type and both of them got nominated for Oscars. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. A lot of times when somebody goes against their type Mm -hmm. of what they usually portray in a movie, they nail it. Oh, absolutely. There's so many examples of that. Mm -hmm. I can't name any off the top of my head right now, (laughs) of course, because, you know, it's almost my bedtime. You did. It's fine. You get the idea. Go out and fucking IMDB it if you're so concerned. Yes, yeah, so a lot of, uh, they shot this in the Philippines because this is apparently where you shot Vietnam movies back in the day. Apocalypse Now was shot primarily in the Philippines as well. Um, one thing I actually talked about, because you can kind of hear like the oh. I know, you kind of see the way people are in this movie towards each other. And it really made me think, because like you think about Band of Brothers and you feel like World War II had like a much tighter kind of brotherhood of people, whereas this one... Uh, this one didn't seem to like in like most Vietnam movies don't seem to. So I actually talked to Fred about that. So let us hear what he has to say. It makes me think a lot too about the difference between how like Vietnam and World War Two, and I mean yes, obviously they're much different animals, uh, but how they are portrayed in movies and stuff, and like a good thing as like the brotherhood in these. Like if you watch like a Saving Private Ryan or Band of Brothers or something like that. There's this tough group of people, like like this tight-knit group of people who have all been through something together. But Vietnam always seems much more broken up and all that. And I don't and they always do that thing too where they kind of break everybody into these archetypes. Uh whereas I don't know, it just feels uh, like it feels like America is a much smaller place in World War II, and then it yes. feels like it's a whole world thing because now you've got a saucier over here, and you've got this person, and it's like it's like they're all coming from different planets, like like it's like the Mud Seventy Nine thing. It's is that all... like a saucier thing? Is that like Apocalypse Now? Are you doing an Apocalypse? I was now doing it with the chef on the boat. Yeah, I do. I'm getting I... some mangoes. Yeah, but but <laughs> and, and any even when people do. Um like spoofs of it or anything like that. Yeah. You've always got that one guy. Cause it's like, I'm, I'm, the, I'm from New Orleans and I'm, I go back, I'm going to be a saucier. And yeah. But, and then you've got your down home country boy and you have this and it speaks to like, I, is it because the world just seems so much bigger in Vietnam's American army that it, that brotherhood doesn't seem as tight knit. Like you have people who are close, like, you know, Keith, David and Chris are close yeah. and, the, and the people they hang with are like that. That's a, a group, but then they have like their clicks. And I'm like, is that maybe more realistic of what it's always been like, or is it just, no, I think the difference. So if you take a look at the difference um, in terms of the military structures with Vietnam and the second world war, mm-hmm. generally speaking, and this goes to the first world war as well. You, the people that you volunteer with from your area are the people that you're in the unit with. And they're the people that you're going to fight with. Mm-hmm. There's not as much mixture of units where when you got to the Vietnam war, um, it was, you could be drafted from North Dakota and then you're flown to train in Georgia and the people that you're training with might be also from 
like uh, New Hampshire and Colorado. And so they take everybody from across the country. And it was a great so sociological, psychological experiment uh, to take everybody out of their home setting, mm -hmm. put them in a room with a bunch of other people that aren't from the home setting, and then mix them all around. And you end up with some people that are from the same area, some people that have some familiarity in one way or another, and then they become really tight friends. And then when the war is over, they all go their separate ways and they all go home. Okay. So I think the the lack of existence of those friendships that we see from the Second World War comes just the way, just the logistics of the way the armies were put together. But also the Vietnam War is different in scope from the Second World War because the Americans were never attacked. Mm -hmm. In the Second World War, they were attacked. And that's why they went to go fight is because somebody attacked them. So now they're all, you hit us. So now yeah. we're going. Whereas Vietnam was, you've got a whole bunch of people that are drafted. And then you've got a whole bunch of people that are volunteering. And you've got some believers. And you've got some people that are only there because they have no other choice. Okay. So you're not dealing with everybody going in for the same reason. So it creates this 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 rift between rifts between rifts so it's a very disconjointed start so it's going to be disconjointed the entire way through but the one thing that even in platoon that they show well is that when they all got in the jungle there was very much a sense of if we don't work together none of us gets out of here alive mm -hmm. and that is the one predominant feature that you consistently see in like vietnam war movies no matter what they are, is that I don't have to like you, mm -hmm. but if we need to get through there together, I will watch your back because I know you're going to watch mine. Mm -hmm. That's the one thing that you see the most. And there's actually that Ken Burns Vietnam doc. They get into some really heady issues like there was division within the units because there was the civil rights movement, Martin Luther King being killed, and it caused a lot of disciplinary issues and a lack of esprit de corps is the Marine Corps term that they use. But they, all these guys that were saying like there were rumbles like on the base, like massive brawls. Mm -hmm. But as soon as we were in the jungle and we, once we crossed the wire, we were all on the same team. Yeah. Like it didn't matter. Like everything was gone. Once you cross the wire, put it in your pocket because we've all got to get it here together. Uh, so while that clip was going, we've seen a couple of extra people. We saw Forrest Whitaker show up. He played Big Harold in this, and apparently he was supposed to be a bigger, fatter guy, and he was trying to, he had put on a bunch of weight. But during their boot camp, he lost weight because they were working out so much and they were marching and doing all this stuff, and they were eating like, um, they were eating army rations and that. So it was, he had bad food and so much exercise, he was losing weight like crazy, and Oliver Stone got mad at him. <laughs> But look at all the scars on Tom Berger. Yeah. Apparently that was, it started out, took about three hours. So there's Tony Todd with the beard there. Oh, so okay. Yeah, I recognize Yeah, there you now. go. But, um, but yeah, it, it started out taking three hours a day to do, and I guess they got it down to a half hour towards the end. And if they didn't absolutely need to put it on him, they wouldn't, obviously. Like if it was just back of him, shots like that. Yeah. So it was an interesting little um, thing there with leadership because that's a uh, – that was obviously his superior, Tom Berenger's superior, but he he's just kind of there for the uh, for the resume, for the uh, for the status, and he doesn't have any idea what he's doing compared to the other guys. Where do we? Go? So yeah, um, I guess when they originally arrived, they uh, they got there the day before. 
or uh, the EDSA revolution in 1986. And what that meant was basically there was a complete government change while they were there and there was a war happening while they were there. And they had to, uh, basically, they weren't allowed to leave the country, but they weren't allowed to do anything. So eventually the production had to bribe the new government to let them start filming so they could film and then leave. Wow. So it probably had a lot of... uh, Probably felt a lot more real that way, too, as you had this kind of guerrilla production going on. Uh, Boom. So, uh, yeah, so you've seen now very briefly the difference between uh, Barnes with Tom, as Tom Berger, or Tom Berger as Barnes, and uh, Willem Dafoe as Elias there. He's a little bit more of a nurturing, caring guy, and this is your... Your kill machine. Yeah. I love this is I miss this Charlie Sheen. Like yeah, he was, it was it so was a good Charlie Sheen. And he was so good back then. Like you think about like in comedies too, like Hot Shots and um Major League, things like that. But then to do things like this and Wall Street and he, he was just really good. It's like you I get bummed out seeing the version of him that we see now. Like one of his last acting roles, he played Dr. Sheen in a, in a, a little pump music video. Like it's just, again, I do, like people aren't really rushing to get him. He was in a nine 11 movie a couple of years ago that somebody did. I don't know. I don't even know anything about it. The last cool. thing I really remember him in was uh, Two and a Half Men, which kind of blew up in his face. Yeah. That, well, that was when he went crazy and then everything kind of went. Yeah, that was when he ruined his and Ashton Kutcher's career. <laughs> so it's interesting because like oh, he's doing all this like by like letters to his grandma journaling and stuff like that. Um, I don't know if you remember in Hot Shots where he's he's doing the same thing and they actually take the very first line that he takes uh, that's in this movie of his where they say hell is the impossibility of blah, blah, blah. He, that's what he says in Hot Shots. Oh, really? When he's in there. But at the same time... His father is coming by in a different boat doing a thing about Colonel Kurtz. So because they both had a very similar role in two different major Vietnam movies. So it's them crossing each other. They're reading the lines from their actual movies. And then they both get up at one point and look at each other and go, I loved you in Wall Street. And they just give each other the thumbs up and then gone. I love that moment. That's one of my favorite moments moments from that movie. It, it was much more a favorite once I realized that those like were the actual lines from these movies. And I thought that was really funny. That is pretty cool. Uh-huh. I've seen Hot Shots and stuff like that numerous yeah. times. But it's been a while for you, eh? Oh, yeah. It's definitely yeah. been a while. Oh, I, I can just imagine what it would be like waking you up after three hours of sleep and saying you have to keep us all safe for three hours. Yeah, you're all dead. <laughs> We'd all be so dead. I I don't know how many people actually remember me being on here any of the other few times, but yeah. I usually talk about how it's pretty close to my bedtime and yeah. how much I like my sleep and Oh. Oh, we know. Yeah. We know. Um I actually spoke uh to Fred about uh, something that uh, because he did his show uh, his audio drama uh, Mud Seventy Nine, which is Star Wars based, but it's very similar to this in a lot of ways. And one of the big ways that they do it is a lot of the storytelling is done through this journaling, like the entire 
Mud 79 is seen essentially through his journal, whereas a lot of what he's going through and stuff is through uh, these letters. So I talked to him a little bit about kind of taking the big picture of a giant war and then kind of like shrinking it down to that. So let us hear what he had to say about that. Uh, you're still taking with Vietnam, you're taking a very big picture thing and you're breaking it down to just kind of this one guy's personal experience all through his journal and what he's seeing and that sort of a thing. How do you break that down? Because essentially what you're doing is concentrating the entire experience down to one person's experience. How do you yeah. go about, like, how, how do you suppose they go about doing that in a way where it is, uh, just for lack of a better word, it, it, it just has to be so generalized through one person's eyes? Well, the thing that they do in Platoon that I don't do in Mud 79 is in Mud 79, I wrote it like a, it's a war diary. It's a memoir. You mm -hmm. never see any perspective other than his. Everything you see is filtered through him. And there's even times where he contradicts himself like a few chapters later, mm -hmm. because that's the way we all are. We're very, we're very morally flexible with the world in which we live in to make us able to process it. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas in Platoon, they kind of bounced around, in particular the scene with the booby traps where you see them going through and they finding the the documents and he lifts it up and, and the whole time like don't lift it up what are you doing <laughs> don't lift it up you should know like it's it's too obvious there's also some scenes where you're privy to the planning session with the lieutenant and the sergeants uh you're privy to some discussions with the officers you're privy to conversations going on in another hooch where they're all talking around and you've got I forget what his name juniors talking with kevin dylan and you just see the dichotomy of their world of drinking whiskey and listening to country <laughs> music and playing cards and then the other room is they're smoking reefers <laughs> and they're listening to jefferson airplane and they're having a time yeah um whereas in my story you're only going to see the hooch where they're all doing the drugs yeah um <laughs> so it, it's it, it can be difficult i would find that very freeing to be able to give a broader perspective of things and i think that you would have a much, and I think that's a great storytelling technique that there's a lot of times where you're directly seeing how naive Charlie Sheen's character is because mm -hmm. he's so completely unaware of what's happening just over here, yeah. you know? And I, I loved seeing that. And there's then there's times where they shrink it down and then they just, they only show Chris's perspective about mm -hmm. what's going on, like his first night patrol and the mosquitoes eating him alive. And yeah. he doesn't even know what's happening down the line. All that matters is what's happening where he is right there. I love that way that they shrunk everything down while at the same time pulling the sights back just a little bit. But at mm -hmm. the same time, uh, it's so closed and so focused. You only ever think of the North Vietnamese as the bad guy. And I think it gets very Star Wars in that perspective. I think there's a lot of similarities between a movie like platoon and a movie like star wars and i think that you could easily take that movie uh set it on uh, a, a planet like endor or felucia <laughs> and put them all in rebel uniforms and i think you could have the exact same movie you know what i mean yeah so right we're back just in time for the war here i picture just how Goddamn scary that would be, eh? Like, you just see these shadows coming at you. I couldn't, yeah. I I would, I've got a, I've got a really good flight response. <laughs> I, I take off. I don't know. You almost got eaten by that dog that charged you. There is that, yeah. So, you, you neither fought nor flot. 
No, but I screamed. <laughs> oh, you screamed. I ripped a doorknob off a door. You screamed so loud. Basically what happened, people who don't know, well, and that would be all of you, I guess, because none of you were there. Uh, our neighbors had this big dog and she was just getting home from work and she got out of her car and the dog got loose and started charging at her. And I just there heard There was this, two of them. Oh yes, that's right. And they were not small. And I went to- They were German shepherds. Yeah. And I went to open the door to like, I was upstairs and I went to open the door up there and I went to open it so fast. I ripped the doorknob right off the door so I couldn't open the door that I ran down and Carrie was just screaming at the dog owner. I have a problem uh-huh. with people who don't put their dogs on a leash. Yeah. Nobody nobody knows if your dog's safe or not. Nobody knows what your dog's going to do, including you. Yeah. Just put your dog on a leash. Yeah. So if that's if there's any other lesson from the Vietnam War, it's put your dog on a leash. Yeah, exactly. Is that the name of this title? No, I don't know. Do we'll I need figure. to write it down this time? We'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I had you do that last time. I have my phone right in front of me. I could easily type that down this time if we do it. Um that always, I think that's the part of this movie that made me so mad is the guy just instantly, like, he slept through his shift. Of course, they don't have freaking clocks and stuff out there to be like, look, it's obviously not time. It's obviously not my shift. Yeah. Because I've had to use that. People did that. Actually, working at one place that I no longer work at was very much my Vietnam in that aspect where people tried to blame me for shit like that because I was the new guy and then I had to keep going and proving that it wasn't me, it was them. I. Yeah, I was good. I was just gonna say I've never really had that, but yes, I have. Yeah, of course you have. Uh, so yeah, he's a he's injured. <laughs> it's uh, it's he didn't fall asleep. See, this is the thing about bad sleepers. He has no. He's not even trying to blame him. I don't think. I think he legitimately doesn't know that he was woken up, like you. Yeah, I I don't know what's going on when I'm woken up. Yeah. But it's that thing of like, or it's like I spoke to you, like I come into bed late and then you get up and I say something to you and we have like a little conversation. I'm like, hey, remember we talked about that? You're like, I have no recollection of that whatsoever. Yep. No clue. Uh, I have been known to talk in my sleep sometimes. No, no, but this wasn't you talking in your sleep. This was you flat out like turning around, looking at me, talking to me, having a back and forth. I'm sorry, but that I don't remember it. It is sleep talking. It's not sleep talking. You oh, suck. Oh, don't give up. Somebody's always got to die. And it's always, if you want to know who's going to die in an army movie, it's always the one who shows the picture of his of girlfriend. Girl back it's all, home. Here's my girl back him. home. Wow, she's real pretty. Look at how baby face Kevin Dillon is here. God, he looks like a little, little baby. He looks a lot like Sean Astin there, I think. Really? Yeah. I think it was probably the most chubby-cheeked he was as a young man, Charlie Sheen. Yeah. I love Tom Berenger in this goddamn movie. He is so, so good. But he is the guy, and we talk about this later with Fred, so I don't want to get too much into it. But he's very much the guy where I'm like, I obviously hate him, but under no circumstances do I not listen to him. It's like I look at him and I'm like, he's gonna make it through this. So if I do what he, if I do what he says, I'll probably make it through this too, yeah. and no matter how much I dislike what it is, because that's the whole thing. Is you gotta. Like, like these, none of these guys are trying to go career. Most of them were drafted and stuff like that. They just want to make their 365 days and go home. 
Oh, he has to tag him and bag him. Yeah, it doesn't seem. <laughs> Fucking John C. McGinley. Another guy who's been in everything. He was also in uh, Wall Street with uh, Oliver Stone. Uh, he's in Scrubs. He's in all. I've got his stuff here. Why am I? Why am I wasting time trying to remember when I can read it like a man? Uh, he was in Point Break, Wall Street, like I said, Highlander Two, Surviving the Game, which I only put in here because I was a uh, note that I was had for Todd because it's a movie we watched back in the day, like a straight to video thing where it was like they were hunting iced tea for sport. And that always made me laugh. Uh, he was in Wagons East, which was John Candy's last movie. He was in The Rock. He was in Identity, which was written by a friend of the show, Michael Cooney. Yep. So that was awesome. And then, yeah, obviously, like, Scrubs was... I don't want to say it was the biggest thing he did, but it was probably it was the longest thing he did. <laughs> hmm. That always... That uh, sign always reminds me of MASH. I'm sure it existed everywhere, but... yeah. Beer. It's always it. It's always so weird to me, like to see them like have beer and stuff. Like I, I just I understand why they have it and stuff like that. But it just seems like a like there. It's always uh, drinking on the job or something like that. Yeah, it doesn't feel like there's downtime for them. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I, I get what you're saying. Uh-huh. So you just heard Good Morning Vietnam. That was the actual voice of Adrian Cronauer, who uh, was who Robin Williams played in Good Morning Vietnam. They got a recording of him. Okay, yeah, I was gonna I was gonna say because I thought that was from a different movie. But that is not a different movie. Well, it's a different movie, but it was based on a real thing in Vietnam. This is fucking disgusting, by the way. Yep. You have to basically burn everybody's shit. Yep. Because you got no place to put it. That's gross. Uh huh. There was actually, I think they did that in um, Jarheads as well, or Jarhead, where he they already put like the the uh, chemical in there or whatever to burn it, and then the uh, the lieutenant or whoever came by and he needed to use it, so they had to push it back in. Oh, so gross! Keith David has the best voice in the world. I love Keith da- Keith David. He's been in quite a few of the movies we've done so far. He was in They Live. He was in uh, Roadhouse. Can't get enough Keith David. 32 days. Oh, Lordy. So this is actually an interesting thing, too, because we're going to get a very uh, interesting... We're going to get a very interesting piece of information about him. So how did you get here? Okay, he volunteered. Everybody was forced to be here, and he's a rich kid who dropped out of college and volunteered for the uh, for the army. Uh, I talked to Fred about class in the military, y'all, based on this, and he had a lot to say. So let's have a listen. One thing that it deals with that actually uh, you guys deal with a lot in Mud Seventy Nine is uh, class in the military, really, because yeah. like, he is a rich kid who goes to war while all these other guys are the poor kids who go to war very much like your guy who is just, you know, I, I got nothing else. I have no other option. Uh, what is it like, what is it that's so important when you're telling these stories about class in the military, like, and really exploring that as to what makes these people, these people besides just the, I have no other option. Like what makes them be I who they are? 
what's cool about the the story is that he is a believer like he the uh, charlie sheen is chris i think his name is in the movie mm-hmm. chris like he is a believer like he truly does believe that it's his duty to go do his part for this country that has given him so much and i don't think that is a unique sentiment amongst rich kids i think that that is a unique sentiment in that story and the more reading you do about the Vietnam War, there were a lot of issues with only the poor kids being drafted and not just being drafted, but having no way of getting a deferment out of the draft. And so they had no other option. Whereas if you're rich and you're going to university or let's just say you've got bone spurs, then you don't have to go fight in the Vietnam War, no matter how many times the draft board comes after you. And I think that what I love about that movie that I do feel was almost a little bit, I, I'm, I'm a bit cynic when it comes to that stuff. I feel like he was accepted really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if I had been working on a story like that, I don't think he would have been as accepted as readily and as quickly. Because mm-hmm. when the big turn in the movie for his character is when he gets hurt on that patrol and you're kind of left wondering if his fellow soldiers blame him for falling asleep, even though it wasn't his duty yeah. to be awake at that time. I just found when he comes back, all of a sudden he's cool and everyone likes him. And it was, it did kind of take me out of it. But at the same time, I have this moment where, no, man, he's one of them now. He bled for them. So it's cool. I really loved how they they touched on that, the poor kids staying in. And then you've got the lieutenant who's really only there to look good on his resume kind of thing, (laughs) you know? It's just a great movie with the stories and the characters. And yes, the classes, 100%. Uh, one thing you'll see that they bring up a lot in this movie is uh, the guys he all uh, Chris is with, who again is basically the uh, avatar for Oliver Stone in this. Uh, they're always smoking pot, and the other guys are always drinking. And his observation was that people who were the most stable there were the ones who smoked pot. The ones who drank were all the the irrational ones. And the okay, yeah. Which I, I understand at the same time, though. I'm like, I would be so weirded out. But I guess right now they're not, they're obviously not smoking pot while they're out in the field. They're like on base right now and there's nothing kind of going on. But uh, yeah. <laughs> Bunch of hop heads, man. But see, they've all got beers. Yeah. That. But I mean, historically mm-hmm. in movies and stuff like that, pot's mm-hmm. always been the kind of more mellow and chill yeah. and alcohol's always been the kind of evil anger and hotheads and stuff. So Yeah. No, for sure. The um I guess when they prior to doing this, like I said, they did a boot camp, so they did a two week boot camp with um their uh, military advisor Dale Die, and they put them through the ringer. They deprived them of sleep. They marched nonstop. They ate, like I said, they ate only their rations. Uh, he wanted them completely exhausted and burnt out. And they started shooting the day after thing. They wanted them burnt out from the second they arrived to shoot instead. So, um, and then from there, Oliver Stone was shitty to them he was he was drill sergeant the entire time and he said basically everybody hated him on set because but that was by, that was the point that was is, by design they wanted every he wanted everybody on edge at all times and again he won best director for the movie so i guess like what he did worked right yeah mm-hmm. i love this this kind of reminds me almost like of the office 
where it's like Michael Scott comes in, except it's like an asylum and he's just like, Hey, how's it going? Like, <laughs> like he's just trying, like he's trying his best to connect and do the, Oh, that flag. Fuck you. That flag. This is, that's a big part of the reason why we didn't do this episode last week. Uh, Cause I was, I, I knew it was going to trigger me and set me off. Oh, he's got a sweet, uh, He's got a sweet, like, stalker uh, thing for Jesus. Yeah, I was noticing that. Yeah. Uh, he's got a great... He, he he put on a great voice for this. John C. McGinley. He's, I don't even know what it is. Blouse. <laughs> I wonder... It's interesting because it's like your view of which sergeant kind of you get behind between Elias and Barnes. Uh, they they kind of made it that it's like, oh, all the assholes got behind Barnes and all the chill, mellow guys got behind Elias. And I get you got to kind of set those uh, things. But I was like, I feel like you could easily just be on the other side. If like you were just assigned and you were like, you're with Barnes now and hey, you're with Elias. I feel like everybody would be like, yeah, this guy's good. This yeah, guy's okay. this is a cool dude. I, I can follow this guy. It's, uh, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, Barnes's character, there's a certain amount of respect that comes out of that just honest, straightforward, no filter uh-huh. kind of leadership that can come out of it. I've worked with some people like that in the past, and they can say anything they want to you. Yeah. And they can treat you however they want, and you'll still respect them because you know that it's coming from a, a place of wanting you to do better or, or yeah. whatever the case is, right? It's it's mentorship, not, uh, I, I don't really, not nurturing is yeah. what it is. I feel like this was going to end with a bunch of dudes making out. I Every time I watch this, I feel the same thing. It's a bunch of shirtless dudes dancing really close to each other <laughs> in, a, in a tight area. I'd be so afraid of burning. This is why I could never smoke pot. When you get down to the end like that, it's like I I don't want to burn my fingers. I've burnt my hand on a cigarette more than once, and I don't. I've never smoked. <laughs> that's be- well, that's because you did plays in high school. Yeah, that was actually from that student film where I smoked like a pack and a half of cigarettes in a couple hours, and I almost died. I was just trying to be a team player. That's what you get for helping people. Uh, Keith David, too, I wanted to mention, I was looking at his IMDb, and he played, re- very recently, he played Chief Ironweed in 420, in the 420 movie, Mary and Jane. <laughs> I was like, Jesus <laughs> Christ. fantastic name. It's so good. I, it's one we got to hunt down. Um, Charlie Sheen said in an interview, though, I guess um, Keith David saved his life at one point. They were in a helicopter, and he was leaning out, and it kind of banked. And he went forward, and Keith David grabbed him and yanked him back like he almost fell out of the helicopter. That's crazy. So we could have avoided this whole tiger blood thing if Keith David would have just let him fall. I don't know how much in the movie they got shot, though. See, again, this is something he's he's learning from this dude, right? Actually, it's something I wanted to hear about because we talk a little bit about leadership uh, with Fred and... Uh, because I mean, there's guys who aren't by the book here. There's a lot of problems here, but, uh, uh, let's hear what Fred had to say about the leadership in this movie. This respect of authority, because that's really something when you're working in small groups, uh, in like this with mud 79, who they have a clone 
sergeant and yeah. uh, who's battle tested and all this stuff. And then you've got your Elias and your uh, uh, your Tom Berenger, whose name just completely Blaine. Escaped. I think it's Blaine or Blair. There you go. Like uh, but yeah, so you have those guys. Those guys have done shit and they have earned like, the, <laughs> you know, like they have earned the respect of the guys to the point where, yeah, that guy's an asshole, but I'm going to listen to him because I'll come out alive if that's the fa- if that's the case. Yeah, the, you know, it's funny that you're bringing up something that when I rewatched Platoon mm-hmm. um, was a big glaring issue for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Mud 79, there is a definite fear and respect of the cloner LT, uh, Dev Orto is mm-hmm. his name because he now has a name mm-hmm. um, because he won battle honors on a battle at Ordo Plutonia. That's where it came from. And he gets into that in the final episode, by the way. I do a... Uh, I talked to my dad about how they deal with PTSD with combat soldiers where you're not, you're not falling off, but you're on the verge. Like, how do you address that from a leadership? Cause he was, a, he was a Sergeant of young soldiers for a good deal of his career. Yeah. So I was asking him about the techniques that they use. He goes, Oh, there's a whole handbook about it. Like it's something they're very aware of mm-hmm. good leadership techniques. And so when he's got the LT they're a, he's immediately credible to them mm-hmm. because they all grew up watching Imperial prop, uh, Republic propaganda about clones. So there's no, there's never a doubt that this guy can handle himself, but he's never a malevolent character like Blaine, but he's also never a compassionate character mm-hmm. uh, like Elias. He's very much separated and distinct from mm-hmm. them. And he's got his minions who are the sergeants and the main character really just gravitates towards anybody who's got combat experience Mm -hmm. to listen to them. And the thing that was the big disconnect with platoon and mud 79 is that there's incompetent leadership within the platoon. Mm -hmm. He knows there's incompetent leadership and it's immediately visible. And that's what I saw in those guys in leadership. Cause yeah, like you said, they're not in any way, by the book for sure but they're they're these guys who these young kids look to and especially on their particular cliques and sides where they're like i know if i follow him i'm gonna come out of it in one piece and it's like what what that means for me as far as my career doesn't matter so much as what it means for me coming home Oh, that guy reminds me. What, what the hell is his name? He was Shane in Walking Dead. And John Barenthal. John Barenthal. He had, he had, I think it was just the nose, but that guy reminded me of John Barenthal. I'd have to see him again. Okay, I don't think we do. I think he's one of those really unimportant dudes. Oh, hey, that was our dog's ears. Yeah. It's, That's it's, the helicopter that we wake up to in the morning. I was just going to say it sounds very much like Vietnam in our mornings because it sounds like a helicopter coming down. Uh, so it's interesting because, again, this movie, like they we've talked about obviously you know vietnam is the bad guy for uh, what it's no. worth <laughs> i know the snake uh but the, you know vietnam is quote unquote the bad guy and all this uh one thing that was really interesting is the movie we were soldiers which is a mel gibson movie which is its own thing but that's fine um they had um what's it called uh, it showed a lot of things like from their perspective and like you kind of like gave you like a two sides of war kind of thing. Not to say, you know, Hey, good people on both sides and all that sort of thing. But it was just interesting to see them not like stormtroopers. You know what I mean? It was just a, like uh, humans who were doing the same thing that we were doing only the, just on the opposite side. There he is. There's my John Bernthal. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah. So like it's not like a dead ringer or anything. No, no. Just But you can see the uh, like yeah. a resemblance. Like he could mm-hmm. be related. <laughs> Kevin and I uh Yeah, um Kevin Feige, I guess, uh just recently didn't confirm, but just kind of teased again that there is definitely a possibility of uh, bringing back Daredevil, Punisher, Jessica Jones, and all that into uh, Disney Plus. Oh yeah, yeah. So here's the hope. Oh. Uh, that's the thing. Like you, you've already found your main dudes. You know that you're not getting like some new guy introduced halfway through this movie. So it's like you see somebody you haven't seen before. He's like, yeah, that guy's probably gonna be dead. Oh. Uh. It's another thing, like, I mean, I don't know a ton about the Vietnam War, but, like, you you see how well prepared they were, like, on their home turf, you know what I mean? And, like, there's a reason why why this war was not won by the U.S. It was, they, they were ready, and, like, they, and not to mention these guys having to try and land in the middle of the jungle when they're essentially surrounded at all times. Yeah, I don't, I don't know much of anything about mm-hmm. the Vietnam War, but this movie's kind of making me want to learn about it. It is, like, I yeah. And, I mean, this is only kind of, like, I, I would call this a picture from the perspective of, like, kind of a very low-level person. I think that there's a lot more to kind of learn about it. But, the uh, yeah, the Viet Cong uh, had a real, real system in place. And, and like like they knew these guys were coming and they were and it's not like they just threw up a few barricades it's not even like in uh germany or not germany but like like on d-day and stuff like that you know with the beaches and they had those like big barricade things up and they had some bunkers up and stuff like that like these guys had tunnel systems and yeah it's they like were, the, they were ready yeah, it was like underneath disney world they have a whole like connecting set yeah. Uh, the guy who just talked, I'm gonna get, I had his name here because I keep forgetting it. Um, it was Corey Glover. Uh, he was the front man for li- for the band Living Color, and this was his first ever acting role. There he is. Oh, he's 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 now in, he's now out of focus. Uh, I feel like I'd be very nervous just knowing the fate of black people in movies and you hear about a shot where it's like, it's like, Oh, it's the three black guys from, <laughs> like, from the thing are all going to be in this one shot. It's like, Oh, one of us is going to die. There's Johnny Depp. Look at him. He's a baby. This was before he like completely wrecked his career. He literally, I looked at his IMDB to see what he's got coming up. The answer is nothing. Oh, they got one. What? Oh, yeah. The yeah, predator got him. I always try to look because that was a big thing in Vietnam too. People would always like they would write stuff on their helmets and stuff, uh, stuff like that. Um, like uh, there was a, the famous one was Full Metal Jacket and War as Hell. There's Corey Glover. Um, ugh, that face. So I'm sorry. Was that one of their guys yes. that got taken by the Viet Cong and then like displayed? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, like pro- either that or this is the beginning of Predator. Is that a giant? Is that a giant dog in the background? Y- yes. I don't know what animal that was. That looked like a giant ass dog. See, like, and that's the thing. Like, everybody know he's an asshole, but like, again, we that day we loved him. We knew because we knew that we were gonna fuck people up because of him. Yeah. This is this is. 
that's impressive in and of itself, even though it wasn't real. And you would, like, it's such a weird thing, war, because, like, that's a big thing, because you always hear, like, everybody says, like, ra- real racist shit when they when it comes to war, and it's like, you know, like, they say the word gook a lot in this, and they do things like this to them because it's like you had to, or or at least, like, one personality type there had to do that to be able to justify, you know, them being the enemy. Otherwise, yeah, like, I... you couldn't bring yourself to kill them if you didn't bring yourself to hate them, right? And to have a motivation of having that dead guy there, they can go, oh, and then you can just instantly blame everybody, right? Yeah, I don't want to know what kind of person I'd have to become to to mm-hmm. survive that. I really don't. Yeah, right? I feel so terrible for people that were forced into doing stuff like this when it's not in their wheelhouse. It's not in their personality. Like, oh, it's abs- just, yeah. Well, that's why, especially Vietnam, probably more than any other one. And we talk a little bit about that. And, um, in a, well, we talked about that in the brotherhood of it was that in world war two, they had been attacked. So everybody was kind of on board with, oh, we got to go and do this for the USA, blah, blah, blah. And I I understand that. Whereas, like, Vietnam, you just got sent there. Like, most people who got sent to Vietnam didn't even know what was going on there to... Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Like, I I, I don't... I can't imagine. Yeah. There's an interesting story... They're going to get a guy. I think it's actually this person that they're getting out right now. Yeah, it is, I think it is this one. Um, Kevin Dillon and Charlie Sheen found out that this kid had cataracts and that he was just blind because he, they couldn't afford to get him a surgery or anything like that. So they felt so bad they actually pulled money together and got him the surgery. Oh, that's amazing. I know. I felt really good, especially given what happens in these scenes because you feel like... Because you know how, like, um, what is it, how, like, authentic they make everything feel in these movies? It almost makes it feel like they just picked people out of, like, the Philippines and Vietnam and just actually, like, tortured them and shit like that. Like, it's just because, you know, like, these aren't, like, your everyday actors. These are people, like, these were locals that were hired and stuff like that. So it feels like they're doing this to real people. So to hear that some nice things were happening in the background makes me feel good. Yeah. This is a poor kid with no, with just one leg. See, this is kind I, I feel like this would be the most of what I was like. I'm trying to be nice and you're really screwing with me right now. Uh-huh. But that's the whole thing. Like, and then you have like guys like uh, Kevin Dillon here who play bunny who are just, you know, they're uh pot stirrers for lack of a better yeah. word. Cause like people are losing their goddamn minds here. And then like, you know, he was probably scared to death too. He looked in that thing. He could have been shot when he looked in that thing. So yeah. he's like, had everybody come out he didn't have to look in that thing. He would have felt safer and he wouldn't have lost his goddamn mind. It's hard to, because everybody's having such a goddamn different experience. It's just so like, it's so hard to even like empathize. Uh, many. 
See, even he's got like a, what the hell's going on here? Like people were on the, on the verge of like breaking people. And that's why like you hear so much about, uh, you know, how people were after Vietnam and stuff like that is because this is just what it was like. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is once you break that part of your psyche and stuff open, it's. Yeah, there's no going back. And making it that way, there's no going back. It's. Yeah. Uh, I feel I feel like he just grew up to be um, Johnny Drama in Entourage. Like he he feels like he's just equally a big as big an asshole. It's weird like his voice is so much older than his face there, eh? Yeah. Like it's it's hard to kind of like listen to him. Okay, so here's a a six-year-old Johnny Depp is about to do some uh, translation. It's interesting. I was actually listening to or uh, watching a bit of uh, an old Last Week Tonight yesterday that talked about translators and stuff and how they were so crucial uh, to, especially like in the Middle East, like they were hiring translators who worked in the, who lived in the Middle East, but then they were in danger as being like traitors to their country afterwards and they couldn't get into the U.S., because of, like, you know, red tape, all the red tape and stuff like that. Uh. Um, you can see he's got um, Sherilyn. Uh, Johnny Depp's got Sherilyn on his helmet. He was dating Sherilyn Fenn at the time. Oh, okay. And then I think you see when you go into that... Um, like the place where they, the bunker that they were in where they were smoking pot and stuff like that. I think you see SF carved in wood there because he did that as well. Or it's on his guitar oh, or something okay. like that. Yeah. <laughs> that guy looked like he was just a different version of Kevin Dillon. Yeah, he did. There's only like four people there. Oh, that's a great idea. This is making me very uncomfortable. I don't like it. I know, I do, but this was the thing, and this is like, this was a wonderful um, thing, and it's something that Roger Ebert said was that so many war movies prior to this had glorified war yeah. or turned it into art or something, and he's like, this movie doesn't make me want to be a part of war. He's like, war is awful, and war is, yep. and that's what you're trying to, like, that, that was the message they're trying to get. It's trying to make you uncomfortable. Just like that. Like, it's, this was, this was the kind of stuff that would happen and the kind of things he said he was witnessing at the time. But, like, you see, and you see how everybody reacts. Like, all those people were on his side up till that minute, right? Uh, I want to know what happened to him that he got those scars. Yeah. I'd like to have a flashback and find out it has nothing to do with this. It was like, oh, it was a real, it was a weird Christmas tree accident or something. <laughs> I was, was going like, to say farming accident. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I just, I needed it to be something really happy. Like he was setting up his Christmas tree and he fell face first into it and scarred his face up. Yeah, the only part, Kevin Dillon's the only one who seems to be on his side now. See, and that's the one guy who should be stopping him is he's friggin' superior. But like, how do you speak up? Like, how how do you speak up to him? Because a he's like completely unstable at this. Yeah, I oh. Yeah. 
don't worry if if it makes you feel any better. She doesn't get <laughs> she's she doesn't get killed, and none of them are dead in real life. They all lived. It do, it doesn't matter. It I, oh. Mm-hmm. So this gets shut down. Um, actually, what happened too is Oliver Stone during this scene, this village scene, he uh, had a uh, PTSD attack, and um, uh, the uh, um, the uh, military um, guy there. The what's the word I was looking for? What, what, what um, am I looking for? Consultant. The consultant. The military yeah. consultant and him went off and had a cry together because they both went through this. They completely understood what this was. And he was like, and like, so, you know, I, I give it up to them to relive their nightmares to be able to share what it was really like with people so that, you know, it, people aren't thinking like even with Apocalypse Now, like it was some kind of adventure. Yeah. Like it's like, you know, they never... You know, it's just that one is just a bunch of one guy just getting a bunch of like wacky characters along the way, really, if you break it down. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, when you're out here, too, like you really really need to uh he looks very familiar to me he does you know who he he reminds me of the guy and it's not the guy he reminds me of the guy who i believe was in major league 2 who actually was like the backup um catcher to uh tom berenger's character which is that's a funny thing too i just realized that tom berenger and him were in this like really intense movie and then were also in major league so it is him or what? No, no, it's not him. I just reminded me that Tom Berger and Charlie Sheen were both in Major oh, League. Oh, okay. Um, but uh, you know, he always reminds me of that guy. He's he's in a lot of things. He was in Mad Men, which is probably what you recognize him from. Maybe. Okay. But um, he was Duck something. Okay. Oh, yeah. she's getting out her phone. I didn't get, I didn't satisfy her, which is not uncommon. But. Uh, <laughs> You always satisfy me. Yeah, that's on tape now, motherfuckers. Ugh. I just, I, I always wanted them to just have a scene where you find out that that they, they were all like the main guys in the Viet Cong, just to like almost justify it. Like that little girl is the leader. Like, what did they do? What was that in? Um... Ah, shit. Uh, Tropic Thunder, whereas like that little kid kicks the shit out of Ben uh, Ben Stiller. Yeah, I never watched that movie. So. Oh, so good, so good. Actually, and what's really funny is what they do in that movie uh, with Nick Nolte's character and stuff like that is essentially what it was precisely done in this movie. They it's even Lieutenant Wolf was that? That's correct. Yes. Okay. Yeah, he doesn't even look the same. Like he's no, he, but I know him from other stuff. No, I know, but he's definitely aged. He was also mm-hmm. in Desperate Housewives. Yeah. What was it? Desperate, Desperate Housewives. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. So yeah, they're being. Uh, this is actually apparently something that uh, Oliver Stone also said. He said he stopped the some guys from assaulting somebody. And 
I'm glad I'm not watching right I know. Now. You figure out what he's in. This scene is over now, though. You're fine. But, like, this is, that's a thing. And, it's, and again, this is stuff you got to take home with you, right? Uh, I, I, uh, I picture that he's the one who just got busted for that. He's like, no, I stopped it. Like, get them off of you. Uh, he was also in Criminal Minds for a little bit back when we watched it. Oh, was he? Okay. Yeah, he was the director. Oh, was he? Mm-hmm. Interesting. I don't remember anybody but that woman being the director. And I don't say that woman like that woman. I just don't know her name. Yeah. Uh, I've always, like, I, I love the idea of, like, being an actor and walking with all the guns and shit. Oh, you found it? No, no. He was oh. in something called Ice Twisters. I feel like I need to watch that. Oh, we got to hunt down Ice Twisters. I'll reach out to him and see if he'll talk to us. Why did all that shit just explode? The only reason that that theoretically would have exploded is that there were munitions and they were right. Yeah. That's the old, that's the only explanation I can figure. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. You're all in trouble. It's such a bad thing. Like these breaks in not just in rank, but in just flat out. uh, I don't even know. Just like these breaks in the team, you know, it's like that. That's the kind of shit that would tear you apart. But I guess something that was very um, prevalent in Vietnam is there were a lot of fights, a lot of infighting and stuff like that, but it wasn't something that really happened. Like this is something that, uh, Oliver Stone portrays for the movie, but it wasn't something that happened a lot out in the field because you just couldn't do this shit or everybody could die. Uh, I want to know what that means. Chucks. Uh. I totally understand why every black person thinks every white person is crazy if they went to Vietnam. Because they're all fucking nuts. Uh, I'm a, uh, Tony Todd again, just one of those amazing voices. Oh, that's the other thing that you would know him from was the remake of um, Night of the Living Dead. Oh, right. The, col- the color version. Yep. He was, which, bad choice of words, but it was. Uh... Yeah. What is that hat that he's wearing? Like, it's, is it two hat? It's like a beanie on top of like, just like what, like a bandana thing or. Yeah, that's got to be it. But it looks like it's a Muslim thing. I was gonna it's say it's like it, a kofi it, or whatever it's called. I was gonna say it looks like um, a, a religious. Oh, that makes total sense because he complained when they brought pork earlier. Yeah. Ah, uh, I just totally discovered something about this movie. Awesome. Sorry, my ear is very itchy. Apparently, that happens to me with the with these all the time. It's like I guess because my ear is sweating. Yeah, that's that's the deal. Hmm. <laughs> Not if you do do bad things. So frag is something that I actually heard about. Uh, um, Fred teaches us about fragging. I always just thought it was just flat out kill. 
like because that's something that like in it's in video games it's like how many frags do you have and stuff like that right but actually fred uh in a scene that uh, comes up we'll talk about it in a minute uh and he and he kind of explains it to us and it's kind of wonderful uh I've never really heard the term fragging because I don't yeah. really play video games. Well, you don't play enough video games with murders. That's the problem. But all I'm saying is Sergeant Barnes is sus. <laughs> Our dog is whining at me. Well, yeah, because she's not up on your on your <laughs> she's boobs. She's not in my face. Yeah. The Our dog learned how to be a dog by watching cats. So all she does is just That's get in your face. That's because she's smaller than a cat. Well, it's because she's stupid, and she just learned from the first thing that would touch, that would like be near her. Ugh, our dog is so dumb, but she's cute, and she gives little kisses, and she goes, "Earth." He, he's aged very well. I guess when you look kind of like a weird monster to begin with, that you just age very well. Yeah, he like, definitely look, he, looks like a weird monster. I've He's always been very weird looking to me. He is in so much shit coming up, too. Of all the people, like, almost everybody I looked up, like, Forrest Whitaker's in a couple things. He's in Respect, the Aretha Franklin biopic that's oh, coming I'd, up. Oh, I'd like to see that. I'd like to see that, too. He's also in a movie called Fall from Grace that's being directed by uh, David Lynch's daughter, Jennifer. Okay. Uh, which, okay, cool. But, like, Willem Dafoe, he's in The French Dispatch with Wes Anderson, like, Wes Anderson's movie. Uh, he's in uh, an Oscar Isaac movie called The Card Counter. He's in a movie called Nightmare Alley, directed by Guillermo del Toro, starring Bradley Cooper, Kate Blanchett, Rooney Mara, Tony Collette, Ron Perlman. And then he's in a movie coming up called Tropico with Pedro Pascal from The Mandalorian. The Mandalorian. So, yeah, he's got, he has tons of shit come, and all, like, bigger stuff like stuff that's going to get some more attention although who friggin knows with like no movie theaters right now and stuff like that i guess it's a matter of when this stuff comes out i feel like they would have won this war very easily if they would have sent like a like a squad of lawnmowers out first <laughs> it's all the deep grass that really got them in trouble there's some be it's beautiful settings though like you saw that like old like it looked like it was an old, like, uh, just like ruined church, church. or something yeah. like that in the background. And I would love to go and discover places like that. And there's a few around here, too, that we've seen people like post things on Facebook. I'd love to go down. It's down by like the water, and you can find actually. All these I had a client, um, who came in to see me that, uh, he's a photographer and he put together a calendar to sell at some of the local historical sites and stuff like that of different, um, cemeteries in the area yeah and it was actually really quite pretty oh yeah and i i love that stuff well that's a big thing and that's kind of something where you and i have always differed was like when i we talk about going to like certain places like going to italy you're you're locked in on the food and i'm like i want to yeah. see the coliseum and the but that Every vacation for me is locked in on food. Hell, when we have a staycation, it's what do I get to cook and eat? Yes, that's fair. We have so much steak now, by the way. Yeah. Oh. I have a couple of recipes I have to make this week, though, for my cooking group. Oh, yes. She's got a cooking challenge that she's doing. Um, and I'll be using some beef for one of them. Oh, yeah, that's the stew? Yeah. Yeah. What's the other one you got to do? Uh, It's a... Oh, what was it called? Country. 
I don't know why you started saying the con, and I just thought you were going to say something or- no. horrible. Why and I was like, I, have you ever heard me say something? I, well, horrible? no, but on on top of that, why would that have anything to do with food? Oh, I know why. Wink. Country chicken piccata. So kind of like nice. my veal piccata that I had on the yes. weekend. Yeah, for her birthday, we she had a, a restaurant she's been wanting to try. And she ate one-eighth of her veal piccata because somebody sent her a charcuterie board right before dinner. But I <laughs> took it and I ate it for lunch. No, that's great. Did you end up eating those truffle fries? I did. Nice. Were they good? They were pretty good. Yeah, I bet you they would have been better in the air fryer afterwards, right? Probably. Probably. Because Either I did them in the toaster oven at work yeah. and I burned the top portion of it. Yeah, that's what happens when you do anything (laughs) in a toaster oven. You burn the top and the rest of it's cold. No, the rest of it wasn't cold, but I did burn the top. Way to go. Anyways, what's happening? (laughs) Oh, there's a war in Vietnam. Uh, They just kind of stumbled into an ambush and they're dealing with it now. Okay. I don't even like the idea of, and this is something that anybody who's done a movie like this will tell you. It's like, I like the idea of the walking around with the guns and like, it's like, yeah, I'm a soldier, blah, blah, blah. But a second this happens, it, it feels like, obviously from, not from an emotional standpoint, like it doesn't feel like actually being there, but just from the being in the dirt and all that standpoint, you're like, I could have like, uh, I'm not in the war, CG this dirt. <laughs> Let me crawl around on a blue screen and you just... Put dirt on me. Oh, see, I don't mind getting dirty. That's part of what I like about the mud run so much oh, is just the getting dirty. and. Yeah, I was so glad that Abby did that, too. I remember uh, Carrie did her first mud run, and Abby saw her, and, she, and then Carrie said, oh, you should do it next year. And she's like, no, no. And then Carrie put a little bit of mud on her nose, on Abby's yep. nose, and she had a meltdown. Yeah, and, full but of then, crying tears yeah. meltdown. But the next year, she did it, and she did great. She did fantastic, and she actually wanted to do it again after that. So yeah, we did so. sign up, but then COVID happened. Yeah, so we still have we still have passes for all these things to do the next ones. But as long as they happen this year. Yeah. Well, it's just whatever. But if it gets pushed forward another year, it's still paid for. I don't give a shit. Well, as long as they give me the option to do it. Yeah. I imagine they would, if, they, if they did it the first time, why wouldn't they do it the second time? Could put them out of business. Yeah. Well, giving the money back would put them out of business faster. I'd give that little that little pile a pat. Thank you, pile. <laughs> Thank you, dirt, for mm-hmm. saving me. Oh. I do want to throw a grenade. I've never been one to like want to go to a. Uh, <laughs> he even he got a holy fuck, but you don't hear him saying it. But. Um, yeah, that would that would be a bit of an experience. <laughs> so yeah. you, but I would like to just throw a grenade not at a person, though. I just want to see one go off. Just want to see it go off. I just also, though, I'm very worried because I have, like, pretty messed up shoulders. And I have, like, a fear of throwing it just straight down by accident. <laughs> or, like, like, my shoulder tweaking at the back. And then before I get, like, the forward motion, so it's not even a tuck rule situation, I just, it just drops. And then I've got, I got six seconds to get away. It was just a leg going up. I want to. I want somebody like a celebrity to buy the rights to one of these movies and then start like inserting themselves in the movie. <laughs> so not like to be a major character, but just like a scene like this. It's just an insert shot of him going like, "Oh my god, what's happening?" So he's got some shrapnel in his back right now. This is a horrible thing. He's literally got to take the knife to dig shrapnel out of him. See, because that was the thing I didn't really understand. Uh, like as a kid, 
you don't understand really what a grenade is, right? You just think, oh, it just makes an explosion. Well, what it is, it's full of all this little stuff. And when the explosion happens, all those little bits of shrapnel, like if you weren't in the area where the pressure exploded you, the shrapnel explodes you or the shrapnel shreds you to pieces. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot of people. See, I wouldn't mind doing this part too. I'd love to like firemen's carry some people like a goddamn hero. But as long as I didn't get money. Oh, it's Johnny Depp. So Johnny Depp's first few movies were him getting murdered by something. Freddy Krueger. <laughs> <Freddy Kruger. laughs> uh, you see Forrest Gump run by in the background. I was um, something that was interesting, actually, because they were talking about like when this happens and stuff like that. I, this happened like this movie ends right before the Tet Offensive, which was considered like the turning point of the war and stuff like that. Um, but that's exactly when. Um, what was it? Um, I've already said uh, Full Metal Jacket. That's when that movie starts. Like when they come to Vietnam is right around the same time as these guys leaving. So I almost uh, want to like do an edit where it shows like them crossing over and it's like the new guys coming in and those guys coming out. Ugh. This has got to be a real thing though that had to happen from time to time because it's like a lot of people became officers based on their education and intelligence, not because they were friggin' like badasses on the field or good under pressure or anything like that. Right. It's when they were in boot, they were like, they showed real promise when they weren't getting shot at. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's so crazy. It's one of those things too. Like we've never, with I guess the exception of the war of 1812, like uh, us and like the U S never really fight wars on their own. I guess then you get revolutionary war back in the day, but since like the U S has been the U S they've always fought away, like in away games Mm-hmm. And to do one in Europe might be a little bit different because you're not out in the friggin' jungle. You're out amongst buildings and it's like, okay, you, you can see a landscape and kind of like get a strategy behind it. But like when it's just all trees and grass and stuff, it's just like, well, I hope I don't get murdered here and then we'll try to murder them from here. Yeah. Well, it's definitely, uh, I think it kind of goes back to what you were talking about earlier though, where the, the, the home field advantage that they had being in the jungle like that, because yeah these people don't live in the closest thing they come to a jungle is like they might live in the backwoods or something like yeah, that, but Everglades. But they're still s- yeah. s- civilized. They're still like city and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. 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 They you can know? drive into town to get milk. Yeah. Whereas, well, I guess that, I mean, I don't know how far out these jungles are from like Ho Chi Minh city and things like that, but that's another thing too is like when you like like you literally you can't even see where your other people are much less like those guys so you see those guys coming and you're like oh, I hope I'm not accidentally shooting at somebody I'm not supposed to be yeah <laughs> oh I'm hit man here's a picture of my girlfriend because I know that's what I'm supposed to do uh <laughs> what a weird attitude it's a lung you've got to uh it's interesting too like the medics you, you know to be a medic um in all of this is just 
like friggin' bananas because uh, you are a combat guy still, but you also have to like kind of drop all that if anybody else gets hurt. Yeah, and that's where your focus is. Like, I mean, I you have a sidearm or whatever, but your main focus is just saving other people and hoping you don't get shot in the neck while you're doing it. All right, so we've got a uh, bit coming up here. Actually, Fred's got some thoughts on this, but. I was just going to say, actually, yeah. we're, we're a good portion into us, and I can honestly and definitively say I have never seen this movie. Yeah, you've, you've definitely for sure not seen this movie. Yeah. You'll recognize there's a couple of shots in the movie later that you, uh, I can't imagine that you won't at least recognize, though, just because, like, you know when, like, the Oscars or Golden Globes, they do those, like, big compilations of, like, the history of film and stuff. Yeah. There's a shot from this that is, like, one of the, like, it's the perennial. It's in every one of those compilations. This movie was, um, we had one of those uh, MGM, we had that MGM box set of DVDs back in the day. And this was one of the movies on there. And I think it was also one of the ones like, you know, when it has like the collage of everything, that iconic shot of Willem Dafoe after you'll see, uh, you would see in that as well. (laughs) Who the hell is, I just see people like crossing over. I'm like, who the hell is that dude? Oh, such good editing here too. Um, this is another movie. I cannot, her name was Claire. I can't remember her last name now. Uh, but the editor of this movie, this was a big thing, especially in the eighties and like, uh, like late seventies into the eighties. A lot of great movies were all, um, edited by women. Cause it was like, um, Jaws was edited by a woman. This was, I think ET was, um, a lot of Spielberg stuff back then was, and, um, what other ones? There were a bunch, but uh, yeah, women may make great editors, especially of these things. I don't, it's, you know, I I don't know if there's very something very specific about it, but it was a um, I I don't know if they just cut, they came at it from a different uh, perspective than the men who directed the movies. Well, I mean, it could be yeah. because, I mean, kind of historically and. Sorry, do you have to put something? No, no, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, historically and, um, you know, like, evolutionarily, men are always like, yeah, we go to war and we be and and make it that glory that you were talking about that a lot of other movies were. Yeah. Whereas women see the... Yeah. Did he just kill Elias? Yeah, he did. And actually, I will interrupt you now. I hate interrupting a woman when talking about women, but here we go because I want to talk about Fred talking about that the exact scene. And I often wondered about, like, if we want to talk about, like, motivations of characters. Mm-hmm. Can we give a spoiler for a movie that's 34 years old? I, th- I that? think that'll be just fine. <laughs> like, I wonder often if Tom Berenger taking down Willem Dafoe in the jungle was he was worried about his career or he was worried he wouldn't be able to kill more people. I, I've, I've I, wondered about his motivation about that. I've you know? thought about that too. And I think it's the latter to be frank. Yeah. I think he, I, I, yeah. Yeah. I think that he thinks that it would be to the detriment of the army or for him to not be there. Yeah. like, you are totally agree. Yeah. You will be hurt. If I'm not here, I am actually saving you by keeping myself here because that's what I do is kill the bad guys. 
So, so yeah, that was just what he had to say about that. Um, yeah, to your thoughts about, like, the women in perspective and stuff like that, I definitely agree. I also, though, think that, like, uh, Oliver Stone was definitely not in any way. Like, he he didn't come into this trying to glorify. I don't think she changed the tone of this film. But I think that... No, for, what I was trying to get at is okay. that they, they kind they can... Women, because we are the emotional ones... Yeah. Um, historically speaking, I'm not speaking for every woman, obviously, yeah. but uh, we tend to be the the nurturing and the historic ones. They can kind of put that that feeling into the movie. You said yeah. Jaws was re- was done by a woman, which you yeah you get that that feeling of the mother who wanted to protect her son and her husband who's you know kind of going out onto the waters and into these dangerous waters to mm-hmm. chase this shark and all that kind of stuff yeah. and you know this one you you're you're getting kind of like that like i you can't see me now because we're, you're not recording this visually but yeah. like some of the scenes earlier physically made me cry yeah and i think it kind of brings that different emotion that naturing yeah. emotion to it yeah uh you know i could i could definitely see that for sure and i think that there's also um yeah, I don't I, I I don't know what it is, but I mean there's definitely something to it because there was a lot of it going on and it's weird that that kind of went away. I'm not saying that there's no female editors anymore, but I'm saying that like when you had a time like this time when there were so many prominent ones to go and have so fewer is just kind of weird to me. Well, it's like, you know, if, if it ain't broke, don't, f- you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? Oh. Well, that's the worst thing. He just, for one split second, he looked like Ernest to me. Yeah. Kind of. it, it's just, like, it's just, there was a, like, because he's just got, like, a very character face. So here comes that uh, shot that I was talking about, uh, where it's about where, uh so yeah, he was shot. In the, give it up for him for running after being shot in the stomach. Yeah. Oh man, to have a death scene like this as an actor must be a fucking dream. So here's the shot right here. Oh wait, not quite, not quite. I, I'm getting, I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh Guns, guns. All right. So here, oh, he keeps teasing it. He's like, I'm going to do it. No, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to, oh, come on. Do the move. Do the roar. Dude's got a will to live, man. Yeah, I know, eh? That's, oh, that's another great Tropic Thunder thing where the guy, because uh, they basically ripped this scene off. But then uh, Robert Downey Jr., he goes like, survive. When he does it, it's this shot. That's on the cover of the movie. It's every every compilation of everything was was that shot i guess it was a re um it was a reenactment of a painting that somebody did okay or something like that i didn't it was one of those ones i glossed over because i was doing my research at four o'clock in the morning that's my fault not yours well it's a little your fault it's not my fault. Well, if you would have like won a lottery or, you know, dude, you're the one who discovered. plays the lottery. Well, if you were playing the lottery, we double our chances. Actually, I can't say that because I literally have to t- go to work tomorrow and <laughs> bring Sherry money for the lottery. 
Okay, so we're talking, they're talking about fragging now. So Fred's going to explain a little bit more about fragging and just this scene in general, because this is actually one of like the great scenes in this movie. So let's have a listen. You've got Tom Berenger overhears Chris talking about fragging them. Um, and fragging is a is something that is a, a big deal is made about fragging. And for anybody who's not aware of the practice, it's the idea that you pull a grenade, you roll it under the hooch of, of an officer or authority figure or anyone that's really causing you problems and blow them up. And it did happen, mm-hmm. but it's not, it wasn't as prevalent as you're made to think it was uh, in Platoon. And I think the scene where he comes in and just his animalistic presence like you see that hooch where they're all partying and smoking weed and having a good time with elias Mm -hmm. and then you see that same scene where tom berenger comes in and it's just like a wolf walking through a chicken coop putting all the chickens in their place like you're all just a bunch of roosters to me yeah and like no care no care or concern uh, and it's also cool that it's Tom Berenger who predominantly had only ever played heroic characters up until that point. And I think that his portrayal is so perfect <laughs> in that movie that you only see him. I only see him as a villain because of that movie now. Yeah. Um, that scene, I think, is so phenomenally well acted where I don't believe he is necessarily evil. I think, if anything, he thinks he's the hero of the story because he's the only one fully committed to killing the enemy. And these guys in that room are so caught up in their moral power play, they don't realize that he's going to get them all out of there and alive because they're all cogs in his machine. Uh And if one cog breaks, the machine doesn't work. And he will not let that. I love that scene Uh where he's like, I'm I'm glad you asked. Now I'm really remembering how much I love it. (laughs) Like, uh, I will not let that happen. And Mm -hmm. it's he will will them to victory. He will make them victorious. They just need to get on board with his plan. Elias wanted to be Jesus, wanted to do the right thing. That's going to get you all killed. I'm going to get you alive. Don't you see? Yeah. And it's so – it's such a – brilliant, brilliant story um, with a lot of like over-the-top archetypes. So, yeah, and that's exactly what he was talking about. It's and and the thing about it is him being like the antagonist of the movie, but he's right. That's the only thing is he's like, yeah, did he do something very bad? Yes. But the whole point is that his goal is to win the war and get people home and misguided as it is to be the one to decide what what he believes is uh getting in the way of that which is why he kills Elias but uh yeah he like that that's where his failure is is where he just kind of makes that call for himself I can see your point I I I don't want to agree with you but yeah. I see what you're saying and I could totally see how mm-hmm. people would follow that and not say anything. And honestly, I don't, I'm not even sure that I would say anything. Yeah. Well, especially in just in this war, because again, it was, this was just a lot of people looking to get home. Yeah. Right. And it was counting down the days till they can get home. They they showed that earlier. Exactly. Two days in. It's all I want to do is get home. I'm going to do my tour. I'm going to do my part. And then I'm leaving. 
and especially like especially the draftees, right? So like they want they they wanted out before they got in, and so if this guy is my best chance of doing that, then you better believe it, right? Oh, are you sure that's not how he got the scar? Yes. <laughs> yeah. This exact thing, like every 365 days, this happens to him. Like nobody from the, nobody's seen it from the previous one. Yeah. Uh-oh. 10 years in jail. Apparently too, like those, uh, Stockades. Well, I, I mean, I, I I don't know why it would be a surprise, but it was a uh, no pleasant thing to be in the U.S. stockade. And uh, uh, like I said, it's what was it called? It was Saigon then, or just outside of Saigon. Uh, now it's now, like I said, it's Ho Chi Minh City. But that's our uh, geography lesson for the day. Uh Every every Oscar, I got to look it up again because I didn't even, I don't remember all the awards that this thing won. Oh, I'm not using the right mouse. Um, but yeah, this thing, this thing won so many goddamn awards that. Oh, I think that was like a cow or something we saw earlier. It wasn't a dog because it was really big and I just yeah. saw another one. Oh, yeah. I okay. think it's like a cow or All right. It, I think it's just the angle or maybe the lens they're using or something because it looked really skinny. And But I just saw that again and yeah, that definitely wasn't a dog. Um, I, I was like, There's do, the church again. Oh, there you go. Because I was thinking, I was like, do they have some kind of mythical creature that we don't know about <laughs> in Vietnam? Chupacabra. Yes. There we go. Now we're talking. Um, I can't. There we go. I'm just looking up this thing. Sorry to go off mic here. Charlie Company. Uh, again, it's the like these landings. That was something they did really well in We Were Soldiers too. Uh, Greg Kinnear played this uh, helicopter pilot who basically hit where they were which was, I think, uh, LZ X-Ray or whatever it was. It was, like, the most dangerous place at the beginning of the war because, literally, you would basically, the first people getting off the uh, the helicopters were just being shot. It was just, bam, 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 bam. Helicopter goes, brings people back, bam, 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 bam. And that was just happening nonstop. Uh, and they, uh, so, like, and that's what happens here. Like, at least, like, in World War II, you kind of came from an angle. You knew they were going to be waiting for you. You like you could have a plan, but it's like here you just your fates and you're fighting ghosts the whole time. All right, so here we go. So it won for the Oscars. Won best picture, best director, best sound, best film editing. Claire Simpson. Is the one who did that? I'm actually going to look her up and see what else she's done because it looks like she's done a lot. Um, best uh, best actor for Tom Berenger, uh or no, nominated was best actor for Tom, uh, Tom Berenger and Willem Dafoe, which usually you'll get multiple best supporting actors, but you never get two best actors. Supporting oh, actor. well, they were both in a sort Sorry, I'm, I'm used to them it's saying best supporting actor. Yeah. Uh, this is best actor. Uh, best writing, best cinematography. Golden Globes it won for best uh, best motion picture, best director, uh, best performance by an actor in supporting role, 
Uh, Tom Berenger won that, and then it was nominated for Best Screenplay, won Best Director and Best Editing at the BAFTAs. It just kept going and going and going. It's like, so there's Claire Simpson. Oh, she edited The Constant Gardener. What else? Oh, she has uh, a extremely loud and incredibly close to The Constant Gardener. Bunch of stuff. Oh, she's done quite a few things. Jacob the Liar. Chud. She edited Chud. <laughs> okay. So that's a big jump to go from Chud to, and that, oh, she just became uh, Oliver Stone's editor then because she did Salvador, Platoon, Wall Street. She's got some good ones in there. I was so glad you didn't. I don't even think you got this far, but Keith David is in the final season of um, Community. Yeah, so I did not yeah. watch the final season of Community. Yeah, he's fantastic in that. It's hard because when you're trying to be like a replacement character, when people are like leaving the show so quickly and stuff like that, too, it's hard mm -hmm. to be good. But yeah, no, he was fantastic. Oh, I like, I really like his hair in this. I know that's not, shouldn't be a focusing point. He looks it's, a lot like his brother in this. Yeah. Like I, I see a lot of manner, mannerisms as his face is moving and stuff as he's acting and stuff. He like really oh, looks yeah. like Emilio Estevez. Yeah, they're definitely a, uh, they're, they're definitely a couple of Estevezes. I also, oh, what was it? It was a great roast joke about him. I can't remember. I'm just paraphrasing it, but the basic idea is he was born Carlos Estevez. That's his legal name. Charlie, Charlie Sheen. Sheen. Yeah. yeah. No, I know. And then he was, he was born Carlos Estevez and he's like, um, and he's like, uh, and he's like, but you took the name Sheen. He's like, well, you don't exactly act like a Sheen. He's like, but with all the cocaine you've done in your life, you sure as hell act like a Carlos. <laughs> So you he's imagine. getting to go home? Yeah, he's leaving. Oh. Uh, something that's so he's about to die. <laughs> right here. He's like, oh, yeah, by the way, did I show you a picture of my girlfriend? Um, something that was really interesting, too, was um, they shot this mostly in sequence, meaning that when it was time for people to go home, they were actually going home. And, like, so uh, they said that that uh, speaks a lot to uh, people's emotions and stuff when they're leaving because they're actually, like, being done, they're done the movie. <laughs> oh, that would suck so bad. I know, eh? There's a bit, too, where apparently he did this himself. They said he did it to himself because, like, there's ways to take care of your feet so that doesn't happen, right? It's yeah. called it's called trench foot that he has. Yeah. And uh, people would give it to themselves so they could go set, get sent back and do, uh, um, and be at the hospital, right? Long Bin is, the, uh, is that jail that we were talking about before. Oh, this is fucking creep. Oh, I don't want to watch it. <laughs> oh, imagine how I felt when the Ma Matrix was on and that thing went new into uh, what's his face's belly button. Belly buttons are fine. Belly I don't buttons are not this. fine. 
Belly buttons are fine, honey. Yeah. See, look at. No. No, looky, he's walking. Oh, he slips there too. Just a little bit of a. Oh. Uh. But I like this too. Like, and that's something they do, and that's what I like about them. Like with the having the jerks in this, is. You get the jerks and then you watch them break down too. And it's like everybody's going through it. It's just that how people are dealing with it as they go through it is the big different thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, see, that's another thing too. This is actually an interesting thing because... See, the uh, emotions that he's putting out here. While he was here, his mother was recovering from brain surgery, and he was getting, like, little to no news oh my goodness. about that. So it's like he got to, like, put that out in this scene because it's the only time when he's not a dick. He's having a little bit of a breakdown himself, and that's all he's thinking about is, like, his character getting to have a little bit of leave, be able to call home and stuff like that. And so he puts his own brain there. He's like, oh, imagine if I could call, if I was able to call home and... See how everybody's doing? Yeah. He almost smacked his head. You know what the one thing I'll never do near a helicopter that Jump. he just did? He jumped. Or I, run your hand up like that. I didn't even think about that, but yeah, absolutely. There's no chance. There's no chance that I'm not in a ball. Like, you and I went on a helicopter trip the one time, and they yep. didn't start it up till we were inside it because it wasn't a friggin' Viet. It wasn't Vietnam. But it just... Uh, yeah, that always, like, freaks me out. It's like... When you see people get off the helicopters and they do that head duck, I'm like, you could never do that low enough. Like for me, I would like slide out <laughs> like I was jelly. Slither out like a snake and just like yeah. <laughs> crawl across the ground. I'd, I'd roll out and make sure that I landed feet down so my toes weren't up. <laughs> Everybody's got a bad feeling about this one. You know what else people had a bad feeling about? Star Wars. I do want to take the time uh, just now, too, to thank uh, Fred again, Fred Kennedy. I uh, follow him on Twitter at fearless underscore Fred, or you can follow Star Wars Mud 79 uh, to get all the information on the audio drama. Uh, that's a part of the Issue Zero podcast. You can look all of that up. Uh, I miss it's, Fearless it's, Fred. Well, he's on 107.1. You can just. It, no, I like 102.1. There you go. I, I've actually started to move over because basically I, I've uh, it's a channel that actually we discussed it prior to the interview just because he didn't know that we worked together. <laughs> so I let him know that. And then um, but I hear 107.1 and it's now starting to happen where my music is starting to become classic rock. <laughs> and it's it's like the things that, you know, the things that were on the edge in the 90s are now sliding over into there. Like there's a mix of like a lot older stuff still. And then the, the odd thing that like shows up, like they'll play like, um, uh, what is it, like a Pearl Jam song or something like that, right? And I'm like, oh, my God. I was like, that's like that's when I feel my age. Yeah. I'm like, oh, getting old. Look at how fixed that phone. Like, that phone has been taped together and, like, covered in plastic so many times. Probably just to get, well, I think actually they're just waterproofing it there, to be honest. I was going to say waterproofing it. Have you seen how much rain falls? Yeah. That's all all it does. Rat-a-tat-tat. That guy has a beautiful mustache. 
He looked like somebody I who's like current. No, they're fine. What were you saying? I was gonna. I was gonna say that the guy who was with the uh, captain there looked like a. Uh, he looked like somebody who was in like more current stuff, but like as a young man. So it obviously wouldn't be him because that guy who I'm thinking of is younger now than that guy was there. But uh, I don't know. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. What the hell? Did they just put the club on that tree so nobody steals it? Yeah, I don't know what that was. I don't remember. I haven't seen this in a while. It's it's a detriment to when when you do these because I like to be able to react to them a little bit more naturally, but at the same time when you haven't seen them and you forget what things are. Uh, this is, uh, I believe that that was the one RPG that was actually, um, like they actually launched a real one instead of like rigging, uh, like effects and stuff like okay. that. They just wanted to have one moment of like authentic, this is what it felt like type thing. Uh, that was another thing I learned a lot about with um, in World War II was I was, it was about identifying yourself and stuff so you didn't get shot. I think I learned a lot about that in Band of Brothers. I know that this is not the best way to educate yourself. There's a lot better ways to educate yourself on how uh, these things really went down. But I mean, one thing at a time. I have a lot of documentaries to get through. And seasons of Superstore. <laughs> yes, I want to get through more Superstore. We will. <coughs> that's uh, me getting COVID. Shut up. Yeah, that's it's time. I'm get two week vacation in the in our bedroom. Oh, that's a good way to. He's like, that's exactly somebody who wh who we should be shooting would say. No. <laughs> uh -oh. Hey, man. <laughs> Game over, man. That's so. Yeah. Uh, that's and I, I can't even imagine. There's so many times when like you've like soldiers get like completely cut off from everybody else and from communication and all that. And it's just like, well, we have to somehow survive the night. I guess just shoot everything for now and hope that we have enough bullets. Yeah. I... Again, uh, I'm we're very fortunate and lucky to have not had to have yeah. gone through any of these traumas. I I couldn't. Oh. Yeah. Well, and then what's interesting too is like the wars of today, like you know, like um your more re the most recent Iraq war especially. Uh, a lot of people joined the military because there was a means to college, it was a means to whatever, but there was no war going on. There wasn't even a threat of war and then 9/11 happened and then all of a sudden all these people who thought they were going to go through basic training and maybe get like uh you know, a cushy, like, peacekeeping deal in, like, Italy or something like that, and then all of a sudden have to, like, go to a real war. Mm-hmm. Oh. Uh, he could be saying anything. I always like the idea of the lighting uh, when it comes to this, because it's, like, it's so thick, you're not getting any moonlight. 
So it's like how sometimes you're like, oh, how are you seeing this? And now obviously with the battle going on, you're getting certain lights and you're getting the explosions and all that. But it's like I've just from a uh, cinematography stand standpoint, I always I'm interested in this challenge. Or maybe, oh, maybe that was the real one. I don't freaking know. One of them was real. You you guys figure it out for yourselves. If you're Oliver Stone, you know. Oh, man. Like, I don't even have the mental fortitude to do this in a video game. This is why I don't play Call of Duty. Yeah, I, I don't... I I barely play Animal Crossing. <laughs> and she got PTSD from Animal Crossing. Yeah, I, she I, I yeah. can't. Mm -hmm. Actually, she went Wall Street. She went greed is good with the turnips. I did. <laughs> <laughs> But I got out of it. You got, yeah. <laughs> I got myself out. <laughs> Although I've been laid off again as of today. So who knows? Yeah. <laughs> get, no, I told you, you're going to get deep into uh, Among Us. And no. you're going to start, you're going to start calling everybody sus. No, I'm going to yeah. be doing some more running and cooking. Yeah. Oh. Oh. That looked so grossly real. Like, even though we're watching people get shot and beat to death and stuff like that. I like, I watching that guy like run face first into that tree was somehow more violent to me than anything else. Oh, he was just stabbing him. Yeah. He was getting the bayonet. Oh. I don't, I didn't like the choice of crossing your eyes when you died, but uh that was another big part of their uh training and stuff like that the guy in vietnam he taught everybody what it felt like to be shot he taught everybody what it felt like uh, what it looked like when people died he like it kind of like that's that's uh, the main thing like i said i it'd be cool with like having all the gear on and walking around but it's like i have no interest in acting a war He's kind of got the right idea. Crab a dead body and hide. Yeah. So that is Oliver Stone. Oh, is it? Yeah. Uh-oh. So that, that was his little bit. Oh, my God. That was the sexiest man in the war. Uh, so there's a, there's a suicide bomber, and Oliver Stone killed himself off very quickly. It's actually a really interesting thing because the three Vietnam vets or the, well, the two Vietnam vets who are in this, uh, make cameos as people who die or are dead because hmm. one of the dead bodies, uh, getting carried off the plane at the beginning of the movie was the, uh, military consultant oh, really? and then a dead body getting, um, I, I think it was one of the dead women from the village or something was that guy's wife. <laughs> That's must be how that feels too. Is just the idea of, um, like, like, like we could be the last people, for for all we know. Like, you know, this has gone so sideways that everybody back at base camp could be dead, and it could just be us versus them, and just we're riding out our time. Uh, at the very least, it couldn't be that hard from an acting standpoint to act like you're scared shitless when there's explosions going all around you and people screaming in every direction. Yeah. 
But this is why this one does sound though. Think about how much like editing this this thing would require. That's why I gave a lot of uh, love to uh, Fred. Why, if you follow on his, uh, especially his Star Wars Med seventy nine, you see a lot of his uh, audio tracks and stuff for the episodes, and you just see they're like twenty five tracks deep of sound effects and all this stuff. And sound design is such a interesting thing in making movies. I think yeah. that's why these movies never disturb me, is I don't even think about what's happening in them. I think about how it's being made. Yeah, it could be. It could be all the time I spend, you know. Watching these lighten, as a child. No, I was gonna, well, that too. I was going to say lighten people up and numb. I went to Nam like six years ago. Oh, what is he beating? Oh. oh. Pow, pow, pow. His hair is like super crazy now. This is, that's the best version. <laughs> Barnes is beating everybody to death. He probably got like 30 kills in. Oh, the I've crazy. I've seen that scene. I've seen that. That yeah, before. that crazy. That was like a horror movie look he had yeah. in his eyes right there. Holy shit. Tom Berenger, if you listen to our podcast, you did a great job in this movie. He must listen to this podcast, right? I'm sure he does, sweetheart. It's just him. Yeah. It's him and George Lucas. Listen. Uh Just wiped out. <laughs> he looks like he got a good rest, though. He yeah. looks more rested than I've ever been, and we own, like, a nice mattress. <laughs> that, that weird deer? That weird deer is making fun of me. Was that the weird thing we saw walking in the background? Maybe. <laughs> Their animals are also different over there. That's another thing, too, is, like, even though it's fake, it's just that caked-on blood. I remember that feeling from, like, Halloween costumes when I was, like, a zombie or something like that, and you'd have this caked-on blood, and I was like, oh, if this was real. Uh, Like, it's just, I'm so grossed out by it being, like, and it's fake. It's like, if it was real stuff. And I think I've told the story on here before when I took a girl out on a date and I had blood all down the side of my head because I shaved my head. And I, I know cut it. I've heard it. I know you've heard times. I know you've heard it a lot of times. But I was like, that was one time I just didn't feel it. It was like shaving my head was new, so my whole head felt weird all the time. Yeah. So. But I will say that something must have worked because I was I like my dating game really stepped up right after I shaved my head. It was only like maybe four or five months later that I started dating you. Yeah. And it was about three years ago when I stopped dating that girl because she was really into blood, like Army Hammer. Oh, you're confused. Have you not heard the Army Hammer thing? Uh, maybe. He was like sending like weird sexts to people on like Instagram or something like that. And he said like, I, wa- I want to drink your blood. And like he's like, Ew. I'm 100% a cannibal. And He's like a weird, like dominant dude, and like it was, you know. Hey, you you do you, Army. Your name's Army Hammer. What else was expected of you, right? 
Oh no, he ripped his pants. That's the worst thing that's happened to him. Is that Barnes? Yeah. But you know he survives because he meets a guy named Noble and they start a bookstore after this. Imagine that was his his legacy. <laughs> I, this also made me question because this is supposed to be Oliver Stone. I'm like, did Oliver Stone kill his sergeant while he was out? <laughs> like, is this I him confessing? I believe this falls under the, under the disclaimer of some of the events may have been changed. Yes. Well, I mean, nobody plays anybody in the, like... Ugh. But yeah, I, I choose to believe that uh, that Oliver Stone definitely murdered a superior in the jungle. <laughs> oh, I slammed the thing. Well, I'm very proud of you for making through this movie. You were up uh, about an hour and 45 minutes later than you usually are. Yeah. Uh, you've been on a very uh, tight sleep schedule lately, and I do appreciate very much you pinching and uh, pinch hitting for Todd. No problem, Dave. So I, I don't work anymore. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You work for me now. <laughs> I work for our children. Yes. Oh, that was a great thing. I posted this uh, thing on our Facebook. It was yeah. all about how uh, parents are now the uh, the personal assistants of their kids. And they're like, okay, you have a, you have a Zoom class at 9 o'clock, and then you've got a uh, video call with grandma after school. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Boom, he made it. He has the face of, he reminds me of a Cleveland Little. So we just watched. Did he him. just stab himself? He did, and there's reason for that because if you get hurt, you can get sent home even mm. if your time isn't up. So with all these people, it'd be very believable that he got injured in this battle. Yes, I want a necklace of ears. Do you think I can just get one at the gift shop? Oh, he's got like the first Negan. <laughs> it's got. Oh, yeah, look at that. Mm -hmm. So, that was an interesting thing I never noticed before. And I was doing my research. You saw he reached into that guy's pocket and pulled something out. Uh, something that was very uh, common and that, that they found on Viet Cong uh, soldiers was heroin because it was a, they were using it as a painkiller. Mm. So then, so you see that guy like, you know, in the get high tent and stuff like that. And that starts to maybe suggest that he had something else going on to look at that. It's insane. Just the imagery. Of, now it makes me wonder, I'm like, were they all like, uh, dummies or were they like, were those like stuntmen they were just shoveling in? I'm sure they were probably dummies. Yeah. Those stuntmen sure were dummies. Ha <laughs> ha Hey man. That's it. It's, we're basically it. There you go. So that's exactly what happened. They both got hurt twice, so they're they're getting sent home before their time is up. Mm. So that's why he stabbed himself in the leg. It's actually really funny how, like, just because, like, the shots are so quick. And that's the other thing, too. He thought he was getting out. He thought this was all over. Now he's the sergeant. He yeah. just got promoted, so now not only is he not going home, he's he has to make all the decisions. Uh. Wee! 
That would feel bad. Like the one guy obviously did it to himself and was doing it to get out. He just got hurt and it happened. And like, imagine seeing those other people who you're leaving behind and stuff like, Oh, I greatly averted to war. Um, especially just because the wars of our time have been so meaningless. <laughs> so yeah, he's on heroin. <laughs> that, that explains his entire character so quickly. He looks like the guy who stole the podium. He does. <laughs> he does. He definitely, definitely was at that capital, <laughs> capital invasion. But um, <laughs> yeah, he. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, like I said, like the wars that have happened now have been around like a lot of uselessness and you know, war for oil, that sort of thing. So, I mean, I definitely, like, we, we didn't have an experience of World War Two or any of that craziness. Uh, but, uh, hey, fingers crossed for World War Three or, or another civil war. Um, but, like, to see that, like, I, I always try to think, because they're always like, oh, if you don't support war, you don't support the troops. I'm like, no, I feel like I support the troops more than you do, because I don't want them to go to war. Yeah, I don't want them to go to <laughs> I want I want them all to be alive and have their jobs at like Radio Shack or well, I guess I guess that ages me a little bit too. Blockbuster and Radio Shack and all those places that are still open. Uh Yeah, that's that guy character's that crazy character's name is Ra. Originally, I guess they wanted to uh cast Elias. They wanted an, a Native American actor and he couldn't find somebody who he deemed good enough for the role and there was rumor that um Val Kilmer had uh, auditioned for the role and he actually came in with kind of a uh, Native American vibe but being a white a white guy trying to put that off he thought it was weird but they ended up working together in the doors a little bit later on and that was what Kevin Dillon was in with him as well he was in the doors with Oliver Stone so there you go. Dedicated to the men who fought and died in the Vietnam War. You're welcome, women, for us not dragging you along to that shit. Okay, so <laughs> this is two movies in a row now. Yeah. Where at the end, I have now had to ask you, please don't ever make me watch that again. Yeah. <laughs> for very different reasons. This was yes. a fantastic movie. It's just uncomfortable. But... It is far too. Yeah, I can't. No, watch I understand that. that. I understand that. What was the last one we did? The last one we watched was Star Wars Holiday Special. Oh yeah, that and was, it was so terrible. Good. That was so. Good. And I asked you to never oh. make me watch it again. Actually, it's so cool that you brought that up because I came across something. I went around, uh, on a walk around my work yesterday, and my work is owns Nelvana Studios, which is the which is the uh, animation company that made the animated portion of the uh the special so i found this on one of the floors and it was on loan from the scott dyer foundation of noteworthy exemplary league for visual advancement of northern arts it's a big long name scott dyer uh, is a uh, good was a good mentor to me as well he's somebody i worked with who was the uh chief technical officer of the company back when kind of i made my move to senior and stuff like that but here is a model and sketch of the of the original Boba Fett from the animated 
That is really cool. That is really cool. And it was like so incredibly easy for me to grab that if I wanted to, but I'm a good human being. So I didn't do that. But how cool is that? eh? with the original gun, which is now the Mandalorian's gun. That is really cool. Yeah. Here, what else, like what else do I know? Yeah, but you could see like the original like model sketches, the side view and the front view, back mm-hmm. view, all that. It was so awesome. Um, I'll put that up on my uh, insta on the uh, show's Instagram so you can see that. All right, guys, that's the episode. That's it. I uh, thank you all so much for joining us. Uh, we'll be back next week for sure, barring any other insurrections uh but we'll be back with some fun uh todd is going to call in for our uh coming attractions episode and i'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about because we have uh we've we've only texted back and forth for the last couple of weeks so uh yeah we'll be all over it and then we've got some movies we've pre-recorded a bunch of movies and we're going to start getting into those ones until we can get back into the studio together so until then i'm here yeah okay well though no, i <laughs> No, I, until then yeah, I'm here. No, I have the movies already <laughs> done. So I was like, I've got I've got a few in the Never mind. You're oh I get that too. Uh, but uh yeah, so until next week, guys, we will see you later. This has been Miscast Commentary with your hosts Joe Finley and Todd Murray. Executive producer Joe Finley. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. Visit www.miscastcommentary.com for all news related to the podcast. Miscast Commentary is a Miscast Media Production.